What up, though? Welcome to Throwing Stones alongside Ryan Griffin. I'm Matt Basson. And if you don't know by now, you definitely should know. We talking hoops and not just our Pistons because we wouldn't have a show right now if all we did was talk about our Pistons. We got the Eastern Conference and the Western yeah, Conference. Yeah, Kate on the cover of Slam. Before we get to that, got to remind you guys to like and subscribe everywhere you can find us. That would be Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, full episodes on YouTube, as well as DetroitSportsNation.com. Ryan, Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals happened Wednesday night. And we got our wish for the first half or so. We finally had a basketball game, a competitive basketball game. There was no one jumping out to a 20-point lead in the first half. It wasn't the prettiest of basketball games, but with these two teams that play the (laughs) defense that they play, you expect it to be a little bit uglier uh, than two teams that don't play any kind of defense at all. Still, a combined 38% from the field and 22% from deep in the first half. Saw Miami leading by five, 42-37, and then second half stayed competitive in the first half of the third quarter until the Celtics finally figured out how to score a bucket and then they kept scoring buckets, and Miami couldn't get any buckets, and it went downhill really quickly for the Miami Heat after that. Yeah, it was the uh, lowest scoring Eastern Conference Finals first half in eight years, which I didn't go back and look it up, but that's probably like a Bulls, like Bulls-Cavs series, something like that. I just mm-hmm. had, to, had to think. Or it wouldn't have been the Cavs, it would have been the Heat, probably. We'll see. So it was a really ugly game. And I, I didn't know, like, what I'd prefer. Did I prefer, like, at least one team playing good basketball that was just up by 20 points? Or did I prefer the ugly basketball that we got in the first half, but at least it was at least it was competitive? Mm-hmm. And I still think I tended to be more interested at the, at the fact that it was competitive. But Boston obviously turned something on there at the end of the third quarter, and they kept it going the rest of the game. So... I don't know that the final score was necessarily indicative of what kind of game it was because I do think it was really ugly there for a minute. And there's going to be excuses, reasons, whatever you want to call them, you know, floating around Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, probably not right dealing with whatever he's dealing with in his knee. Tyler Hero didn't play. Kyle Lowry banged up as well. But I think some of the Celtics are banged up too. And it's what, You've said it's what you've heard a lot of the national pundits say is the Celtics are just a better team, and maybe that's what we're seeing. I know the Heat have won two blowout games as well, but it seems like the Celtics are able to impose their will on the Heat, more so than the Heat are on the Celtics, and both these teams are really good defensively, where I think the difference is, is one, the Celtics are better defensively than the Heat are, but two, they can do way more on offense than what the Heat can do. Like, the Heat have really bad <laughs> offense. And even in some of the games that they've won in the series, their offense still hasn't been great. The Celtics just played bad in those games and gave credit to the Heat. Again, a good defense. But I think overall, it comes down to really the difference in the offense, the difference for the Celtics to have multiple guys who can get them a bucket, and the Heat just not being able to get anything going on top of Jimmy Butler going MIA these last two games, even though, again, he's hurt probably. Kyle Lowry and Max Strews combining to go like 0-15 last game certainly doesn't help, and the team as a whole, I think they shot like 30 for 94 for the game. So shooting, no, t- no type of shooting at all for the Heat, and 
it's I don't know. It seems like the series is over. Game six is going back to Boston. And if the Heat are going to obviously continue to play like this, they haven't shown us anything on offense in these last two games. And I don't really have a lot of confidence in Miami for game six. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the stuff yeah. that we talked about before the series started. A couple of things that I saw coming into it as far as the Celtics having a tougher test to get to this point than the Heat had. They played better opponents, healthy opponents, um, and they still were able to win and move on healthy in the most part for Milwaukee. Obviously, Chris Middleton wasn't there. But for Miami, the Hawks weren't a challenge whatsoever. The Sixers were decimated by their own injuries, both with you know Joel Embiid in the body and James Harden in the mind. So there was just nothing happening there that was going to cause much of a, a challenge on their on their side. And it's you know I, I, we talked about this before the series. I didn't know where the scoring was going to come from for Miami besides obviously Jimmy Butler and bam out of bio at times didn't expect Jimmy to get hurt and then that went out the window Duncan Robinson has been MIA for the most part until this last game Tyler Hero has been hit or miss and now he's not even playing and so there's just and then you got Oladipo who's been fantastic in spurts defensively he's been great but offensively couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with his outside shot in this last game got the the rare missed badly again by uh, Mike Breen on like back-to-back <laughs> three opportunities by Oladipo. It's just, I don't, I didn't know where the scoring was going to come from and it's come to fruition. Whereas with the Celtics, I think they do have more talent overall on their team. A big trade to bring in uh, White from San Antonio. You have a starter level, almost point guard as your backup to deal with and help with all the injuries that, the Celtics have had to deal with on their own. Robert Williams has been injured. Marcus Smart and Al Horford missed game one. Smart missing the, the last game as well. And then, you know, J- Jason Tatum is definitely not 100%. There's something going on with that shoulder. Jalen Brown didn't lead. At this point in the season, everyone's a little nicked up. But it just seems like Miami has a little more than just nicked up going on. Lowry has not been the same since the hamstring injury. He doesn't have his burst of speed. He can't stay in front defensively like he usually can. Uh, so it's just injuries have absolutely plagued this series. But at both teams' full strength, I thought the Celtics were just a little bit more talented and as much as injuries have bit both sides, the Celtics have had a little bit better injury look, luck than Miami has in this series. So it's just playing into the factor that Miami was already in an uphill battle and the injuries play a factor, make it even more of an uphill battle. Miami last game, they went into halftime with the lead, but they probably should have been up by way more than five because the Celtics were really bad in the first half. And that probably should have been like the light bulb that went off in our heads. Like, oh, Miami's not winning the series because even if the Celtics play like that, two threes, and now they're in the lead here. And with the Celtics being able to really go at Miami in kind of whatever ways they want with the injuries that are on both sides, (laughs) I I just don't know that Miami's going to do anything on, again, the offensive side of the ball that's going to put any type of fear in the Celtics because it feels like like a five-point lead for the Celtics is like a 10-point lead. Mm-hmm. But like a five-point lead for the Heat because they're not going to extend it to 9, 10, 11. At least now, maybe before the Jimmy Butler injury, it was a little bit different. But now it seems like if you're down against the Heat, it's no problem. And if you're up against the Heat, like it's way more monumental of a lead than a six-point lead or like a seven-point lead would normally be. Just like just because they can't score, and you see some of the talent deficiencies that they've had 
and it's it helps them with you know guys going off in the regular season. I know heroes out, but Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, and being able to pull different things from all these guys, Dwayne Dedman, and it's pretty commendable. But when you get into the playoffs, it's a different game, and the talent, at least to me, has just been overwhelming on the Celtic side. And you, the games you've won were games where Jason Tatum's out here scoring six or eight points, and that's just not normally going to be the case, I know it's not normally the case for Jimmy Butler, but it has been the last two games, and even two and a half games, because the half he went out, uh, he only had eight points a half, was three eight, and he's a 10 for his last 40 right now in this series. So if he's not scoring, the Heat don't have, or the Heat have trouble getting the ball going anyway. And there were 745 last game from the three, and when you looked at a lot of their three-pointers, like you just said, the, the double way off, or way off again by Mike Breen, a lot of those threes were just hitting the backboard, not even the rim, hitting the backboard, going straight back. And it was like, oh, my God, like, how is this? Like, you guys are NBA players, and you're out here airballing threes. You're shooting threes that aren't even close. So for Miami to come out like that at home, I don't know, it's pretty disappointing. Again, they had the lead at half, and you thought maybe they could slog out an ugly win. But I think the first half lead was honestly probably more of an indictment on them that they were only up by five points than – it was any type of confidence builder for them moving forward to game six and maybe game seven. Yeah. I, Jimmy Butler yeah. is so important to this team. It's ridiculous. Not just his scoring, but his ability to drive and make something happen, whether for himself or for a teammate. And his knee looks like it's so bad. He's not even willing to drive. And Ime Odoka has flat out said, like, this last game, we played him like a big because we knew that he wasn't able to do much on that knee. And so we stuck a center on him and let the rest of the team play their defense on everyone else who could still drive the ball. And so with Jimmy Butler not being able to be engaged in the way that he normally is, and he shows how important he is when he is healthy and fully engaged, it's just it's so hard for Miami at this point. And even with Boston shooting as bad as they have, I mean, game four, they won by 20 points, and they shot, what, 37% in the game? That's yeah. a horrible shooting night. And you still won by 20 points points so it's just an embarrassment of riches right now on the Celtics side of the ball especially compared to how much Miami is dealing with is it's just rough and I didn't want this I wanted Miami I born and raised a Laker and a Piston so I hate the Celtics with every fiber (laughs) in my being I don't want to be right about this I don't want them in the finals and if they get to the finals I hope Golden State embarrasses them in five games again I don't think that's going to happen this Celtics team is pretty damn tough so it's going to be interesting to see if we, when we get to that point, what's going to happen. But I didn't want this. I definitely wanted Miami in this situation. I just didn't see it happening with, you know, what the Celtics have shown from January on. It's just been, you know, tremendous basketball on their side, especially defensively. And if they can just figure out how not to continuously turn the ball over, Jalen Brown had, what, four turnovers at, in the first quarter? Like, you do that against Golden State, you're in a lot of trouble. Right now, you can survive that against Miami. But the fact that Boston, Marcus Smart being not 100% hurts, you might have to start Derek White because you need someone who's going to be a ball handler against Golden State because Brown and Tatum are not ball handlers. Yeah, they can create their own shot at times, but they are not strictly ball handling kind of guys and you've seen how many times they've turned the ball over and and they're not look a lot of the steals are great by Miami Miami is is very what is the word I am looking for where you are taking advantage of the situation I cannot my brain is not working but anyway Miami has created a lot of them but Boston has just coughed it up 
so many times on their own as well with just dumb passes, lazy passes, allowing Miami to take advantage of the situation. Opportunistic. That's the word I was looking for. Miami was very opportunistic (laughs) with a lot of their steals. But Boston, a lot of the times, was just giving it away as well. And if they continue to do that, it's going to be hard to win an NBA championship turning the ball over as much as they are. Again, this series is not over. We have seen Miami go into Boston and win big. With the health situation going on right now, I don't think either one of us see that happening in Game 6. It certainly could. I believe this series is over. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, one one thing about the health situation, and it might sound a little haterish, but I know it's obviously been a factor. If you're injured to the point where you're shooting 7 of 32 your last two games or whatever Jimmy Butler's at, just don't play. Because then you're hurting your team <clears throat> more by being out there for 35 minutes or however long he's playing out there than than he would be if he just sat on the bench. And the same thing with Kyle Lowry too. Like I know the injuries have to play a point or play a part, but at some point these guys do deserve criticism for poor play. And again, I know they're hurt, but if you're that hurt where you can't give your team 25% like you shoot field goal percentage, you shouldn't be out there. Yeah, it's it's just it's like, yeah, like Gabe Vincent run crazy. Like yeah, I guess you could luck Gabe Vincent run crazy because he's had a pretty good series. He has stepped it up really big in this series. But we've seen Max Struess fall off from especially from what he was in the last series where he was hitting you know, almost fifty percent from three, and that's definitely not happening against this Celtic defense. Kyle Lowry, you know what he brings to the table when he is healthy. He's a very good defensive point guard, but he's nowhere near that. I don't know how you replace that, and especially Jimmy Butler. I don't know what you do to replace his everything he brings to the table the stat line that he is able to give you of 30 plus points and double digit rebounds and almost 10 assists and a bunch of steals a few blocks he just he fills up a stat sheet in so many ways that helps your team it's really hard to replace that so i understand spo and jimmy's a competitor he's a fighter you've seen that everywhere he goes he wants to be out there and he's gonna fight tooth and nail to be on the floor i don't know how you replace what he can do when he's not healthy to even have him not have had him on the floor at all i understand what you are saying and i don't argue about what you're saying it's just i don't think miami has the bodies to even come close to making up for the production especially jimmy butler but also a little kyle lowry right now especially with hero hurt and duncan robinson is just not you know i don't know if he fell out of favor or something for whatever reason they hadn't used him much until they've had to in this last two games and and if you if these guys are gonna go down then they're gonna go down but yeah, Jimmy Butler's not helping that team, and neither is Kyle Lowry. And that's that's my main point. You're playing them way too long for you. them to be playing that bad. All right, so you think this is over in six? You think Boston closes this out this weekend? Yeah, sadly. Yeah, same here, sadly. I, I, I would love to see Miami pull it off and get back to game seven, but I just I don't know how that happens unless Boston continues well, to turn the ball the- over time and time again. The, the, I guess the only reason it's not sad is because I think Celtics and Warriors is a better finals matchup than the Heat and Warriors is. Especially for, from the Heat not having any healthy standpoint. bodies. <laughs> yeah. All right, speaking of those dubs, Ryan, last time we were on here, we were uh, lamenting and teasing Luka Doncic and Jason Kidd for their comments after the Game 3 loss, basically conceding the series is over. And uh, making their plans for Cancun and whatnot. And Luca's too young. He's not ready yet. And kids saying this is going to be great growth for us going forward and all this other crap. Lo and behold, 
The Dallas Mavericks came to fight in Game 4, and the Warriors fought with them in that first quarter, but you could see towards the end of the first quarter, the first half, you know, that the Warriors were getting in their minds of, you know what, all right, we'll take this one back to the crib and finish it there. Uh, but Mavs came to play, Luka had put up a great line, not the most efficient of lines, and he also got a ton of help. His teammates were shooting over 50%, they were shooting well from deep, they provided 89 of the points that the Mavs scored in this game in their 119-109 win over the Warriors. It was not that close until the second, the, uh, the bench players got in for the Warriors and really made some noise in the fourth quarter, but a 29-point lead after three, the Dubs definitely were, okay, we will finish this at the crib probably in game five what did you see from the Mavs in game four that you think might give them some hope in game five in San Francisco their their shooters finally came to shoot that's the really the biggest difference again I don't think they're getting bad looks in their three losses they just weren't knocking them down and this game in Dallas they were knocking them down and you saw they're knocking them down early they're knocking them down often honestly, and they're just able to run run away with it when they generated so many good looks from three, and they're finally able to hit them. Their scoreboards are going to look way different than they usually do, and I think it was an off game from pretty much everybody on the Warriors. I saw somebody put down a bet slip where it was like Jordan Poole under, Klay Thompson under, Steph Curry under, whatever these point totals were. Andrew Wiggins under, I think, and then they all hit the under. <laughs> so that probably had, had something to do with the two, is none of these guys came to step up in the way that you would expect them to. And it's just, I think even Draymond uh, might have gotten to some foul trouble. Maybe that was the game before. But we talked about it. It's really hard to sweep a team. I did think Golden State was going to finish off the sweep based on just what I heard from Kidd and Luka. And then you figured that would probably trickle down to the rest of the team because those are going to be the two leaders of the team. The exact opposite happened. <laughs> Maybe they took it as a message of, oh, you guys think we're done. We ain't done yet. And then they're able to, again, come down, knock down their shots, and build a little bit of confidence. And I think that's what's scary with it, or about a team like the Mavericks, is at any time they can have five guys on the court who can all shoot the ball. Now, as we've seen in the series, they don't all go in, but we saw in the series against Phoenix why they were able to come back is because they were able to knock down the three-point shot. So they're never really out of a series. I still think the Warriors are going to win it in five. It'd be really hard to shoot like that for four straight games. But I think with the Mavs, it is there might be a little bit of – fright if you're a Warriors fan just seeing like how many threes they knock down and how many they shoot and if they continue to fall it's really hard to beat a team when they shoot from beyond the arc like that uh, yeah making 23s in a game definitely makes life a lot easier for your team to get the W everyone really kind of came to play along with Luke obviously Finney Smith was very efficient 23 points on 9 for 13 shooting Reggie Bullock with 18 on 6 for 10 shooting the team came to play for the Mavs they weren't going down without a fight they showed that fight, and Luka in these kind of games in general is just ridiculous. This is the third time this year, this postseason, that the the Dallas Mavericks have staved off elimination. Obviously, game six and seven against Phoenix, uh, elimination game for both teams in that one. And Luka in these games, he's averaging 33-12. and 12. He's been absolutely fantastic in these kind of games, and if they're going to need him to be that way again for Dallas to pull off a rare feat because, look, we've talked about the numbers. 146 teams have fallen behind 0-3 in the NBA playoffs. Of those, 90 have been swept. 
42 have been taken out in five. That is by far the majority, 132 out of the 146. If the Mavs are able to force a game six, they will be only the 12th team in NBA history to do that when they have fallen behind 0-3. Uh, it's going to be a tough place to do it. That San Francisco is going to be rocking and rolling. Uh, I don't even know the name of the stadium they play at. I know the old one. Oracle, it ain't Oracle anymore. They moved across the bay. It's the <laughs> Chase Center. I can't remember what it is. Is it the Chase Center? Okay, that's what I thought. I got Chase Center. The, the, the Diamondbacks used to play at the Chase One Ballpark, so Chase has had their name on a few different things over the years. Yeah, so the Chase Center is going to be tough to play, and the Warriors might have learned a little something in this last game because in the in the second half they started playing the youngins. When Jonathan Kaminga, you know, came in, dropped seventeen and eight in just over twenty minutes of play. Moses Moody had ten as well in about twenty minutes, uh, so they might have learned a little bit in as well about how to get these young cats to play a little bit more along with their superstar players of Steph and Clay and Draymond and, and Andrew Wiggins. But it's it's a tall task to beat this Warriors team four times in a row. It's going to be really tough to beat them in this game five. But you got to know the Mavs are going to come ready to play. They're going to have a lot of confidence after the way they played this past game because they really took it to the Warriors from the second quarter through the end of the third quarter. They really beat them up pretty good. And if they found something that works, and if the road players can have that confidence, and we saw it in the Phoenix Sun series. The two games back in Dallas, they played great. It didn't look great in game five. The Suns were able to win that one, but it did it did show up in Game 7, absolutely, where these bench players were able to continue to have that stroke. They're going to need it to happen in Game 5 because unlike last time, this is not a 2-2 series. This is a 3-1 series. You can't blow this game where you got none left. So we'll see what the Mavs will bring to the table, but they should be coming in with a little bit of confidence off of how well they played in Game 4. Yeah, they should be confident. The Warriors will have home court advantage, so they'll, of course, have the fans on their side. And who knows, maybe it was just a galaxy brain move by Kerr to get all these young guys some Western Conference Finals practice, thinking he'll be in it for the next five years. I really don't know what that was about because it even seemed like before they were getting blown out, he let a bunch of those guys on the floor together, which seemed pretty insane given the the stakes of the game but i really think he's just trying to figure stuff out and get the guys some practice which is honestly like a flex if you think about it uh oh we're so good we're just gonna throw out every single one of our young players they're playing with house i think there's a point where golden state where golden state was down by two they took the starters off the floor and then they were down 10 they brought the starters back in and didn't get any better but i think it might have been during one of those runs where he had all of, or essentially all of the bench on the floor together. With with Golden State and Dallas, this series probably comes, I do think it, that it ends in game five. And I, again, it's just the Warriors, now they have to be the ones that hit shots. Last game, nobody on their team scored more than 20. And that's insane when you think you have Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson. Jordan Poole, like all these guys on the team who we've seen go for 30 in you know the playoffs before. They're going to have to step up. I have no doubt that they will step up, or at least two out of those guys will you know start to play better. And the Mavs, we talked about it, just like in the Phoenix series, typically you shoot worse on the road, especially your role players. And you're not as comfortable, different arena, all that stuff. But they have already played two games here in the playoffs. Those games didn't go so well for the Mavericks. But maybe they're a little bit more comfortable in Game 5, and they can extend the series just a little bit longer. 
and for the Warriors, it's going to come down, at least to me, is you got to win the you got to win the rebound battle again because that's something that they've been so good with their lineup, not having a true big. But Kevon Looney's been really good on, on the boards this playoffs and this series in particular. Steph, I think he was averaging like eight rebounds in the first three games of this series and the last game. He only had five, which is still good for a guard, but. Draymond can obviously rebound. Wiggins has been a pretty good rebounder this series as well. And last game, they did lose the rebounding battle. They didn't lose it by much. It was still pretty close. But for them to dominate the series the way that they have for the first three games, obviously scoring is going to be important. But I think having just a bigger advantage on the boards is going to be important for them as well because it's what's been one of the secret sauces to their 3-1 lead. Oh, yeah. It's always been the thing that gets overlooked with the Warriors because everyone just gets so enamored with a shiny object, and the shiny object is their offense. But their defense and their rebounding have been an absolute integral part in their run in general over the last so many years. And I think they even you know talked about it after the game that it wasn't what they usually do. And Steph had said it after the win in Game 3. You're playing with house money at this point now. You're up 3-0. Game 4 is in on the road. If you don't win it, you got Game 5 back at home. You can't be considering playing with house money in Game 5 because if you lose Game 5, now you got to deal with Game 6 on the road. So it's going to be a different attitude for the Warriors coming out in Game 5, I would think, than what we saw in Game 4. But I think even Steve Kerr you know, played a little bit into the house money thing by giving the younger guys a chance to play in, this, in a pressure-packed situation of the Western Conference Finals in a game where the game is close, it still matters. And if the young kids performed, who knows? Maybe it ended up working out and the Warriors starters able to come back with a, you know, six, seven point lead as opposed to what ended up happening, obviously, of them dropping off, being down by 10, and it didn't get any better after that. But it definitely was a little bit of house money feel for the Warriors in game four. I don't think we're going to see that again in game five at home because I don't think they want to go back to Dallas. Yeah. I don't know either, and I'm glad that you did call that out because uh, we talked about I didn't like Kid and Lucas' comment. I didn't like the, the two house money comment by Steph either. Like It's playoffs. You should be locked in every single game. And I know it's game four. You're up 3-0. You figure if you lose this one, again, you're going to go back in game five and get the dub. But you guys already blew a 3-1 series like before. You could blow a 3-0 series. It's probably not going to happen. Nobody ever has. But it's bound to happen at some point. you got to treat every game. Take that cliche that coaches always say in players. Take it one game at a time. Like, you can't be looking at game four. Oh, this one doesn't matter because we got however many games left to get a win. So I hated that he said that. I'm like, honest to God. <laughs> oh, it's probably why. Yeah, no. I'm... <laughs> I wasn't a fan of it either. What I was a fan of was the get these players that care about the playoffs. this last game. But no, I was what I was a big fan of after the game was when Jalen Brunson joined the uh, the TNT crew inside the NBA crew afterwards. And Charles Barkley is wonderful for so many reasons. <laughs> but one of my favorite things about Charles is that he doesn't care. He's not going to be politically correct. And he is going to flat out say the things that a lot of us fans will think at times. And when Jalen Brunson sat down after the game to, with, the, with, the, with the crew, Chuck went right in on him and said... When Luka got hurt and couldn't play in the first series for part of the first series against Utah, you were so aggressive, and it was you and Spencer Dinwiddie were so aggressive and so good and blah, 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 blah. And then Luka comes back, and he basically said, you guys suck. 
when Luca's on the floor. He said it a little nicer than that, but he basically said, why aren't you nearly as aggressive when Luca's on the floor? And Jalen handled it great. Brunson was fantastic with the way he handled it, talking about Luca has a gravity about him, obviously, that you're going to have one eye on him seeing what he's doing. You, you almost can't play your same, same style of ball as you would when you're making up for him not being on the floor. But Charles Barkley just being himself and having no problem asking the players, why do you suck when the star is on the floor, but you so much better when he's off the floor is a treasure trove for him. Cause I, this man has somehow made himself more famous after his NBA career, <laughs> which is not an easy thing to do because he was really popular and famous as an NBA player. But what he brings to the table, I absolutely love and will absolutely miss whenever he decides to hang up his microphone. <laughs> Don't leave our audience hanging. What was the, what was the answer Brunson gave? Oh, Brunson told him that we have to be better about that. Him and Spencer both have to find a way to stay locked in and be aggressive and bring what their what their game brings to the table, even when Luca is on the floor doing his thing. Like Brunson handled it, you know, beautifully, and then and then went on to take a shot at his dad, which Shaq had a problem with. <laughs> Shaq, very respectful of his father. Uh, I, I, I love yeah, Barkley no. too, though, and. Like with uh, Brunson going up there, Draymond did that after game two, I think. Game two or game one. But he went up there after one of those wins. It was definitely game two because it was in Golden State, which would make Norris game one, I think. One of the games in Golden State, game one or two. He went up to the crew afterwards and just was talking about it, basically. Talking about the game. Very entertaining, as always. And, yeah, man, I, I love Charles Barkley. They had a thread going on Twitter the other day of Charles Barkley's best moments and all of them. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. So gold, a guy not afraid to laugh at himself. So big, big ups, as they say to, Mm -hmm. to Chuck, it's the best show. I'm sad that I think the Western conference finals is coming to an end in five games because that's the end of the TNT broadcast. Mm -hmm. So I I wish TNT Mm -hmm. would just get the finals. Chuck's not sad though. Chuck looking forward to his vacation. He's already got tea time set up in know, Arizona. He's waiting to go. He he mad it's going five. <laughs> For sure. Even his uh, comment about San Francisco, <laughs> these dirty streets that TNT oh, yeah. had us on. James didn't rain oh. So he's yeah. He's can we talk about the craziness that happened in this game? I completely forgot about this. You have a, you got a waterfall. Fallen in the Mavs arena <laughs> and added to it like another night, like 16 minute delay. Like Mark Cuban must be mad as hell. He'd be like, I, that, that is not where I said that waterfall is supposed to be. Like someone get some flex tape or something up there, man, get this hole plugged so we can play a basketball game. And then on top of that, you got Draymond with the most unbelievable free throw to ever happen where it just <laughs> sat and bounced and sat and then just sat on the top of the rim the whole time and never fell. Just a ridiculous game in general that happened for the things that went around the actual basketball game itself. Yeah, I think I've only seen a free throw like that once, like in person. It might not even be a three free throw. It was just a shot where the ball got stuck on that back part of the rim. Uh, and then you even had Reggie Miller call out the ESPN crew, talking about a game of four on four with their broadcast crew. This is what Reggie and Harlan and Stan Van Gundy against like Jeff and Mike Breen and, and Mark Jackson. So no, uh, and, and all, side, all and of this game, except yeah, I just didn't remember both of their names, but yes, yeah, I, but the, the sideline reporters, the, the two women. Yeah. Salters. And I don't know if it's Malik Andrews. 
I don't remember Maybe who it was sure. with the NBA um, crew either, the ESPN crew. <laughs> but, so, like, everything that surrounded this game, I guess, was funny and interesting, just not the actual basketball part of it. There. <laughs> The first quarter was. The first quarter of the game was really good. It was a competitive battle. The Mavs and the Warriors both brought it in the first quarter. After that, it was pretty much all Mavs until the Warriors made that late run with the young crew. But uh, So, yeah, I think I think this is the last show where you and I are going to be talking about the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. And the next time we get together, it'll be the NBA Finals because I don't think either team is playing after this weekend until it's against each other. And I think we're going to end up with the Warriors in five and the Celtics in six. You? Yeah, I'll I'll say the same. The Warriors five, Celtics and six, and then I think the finals are scheduled to start June second. Yeah. Yep, June second, game one of the NBA finals. All right, along with uh, the games this these last few days, the All NBA first, second, and third teams were announced. Ryan and the first team was Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Giannis, Jason Tatum, and Nikola Jokic, the MVP. Do you have any gripes with anyone on the first team NBA this year? No. Booker, I guess. I'd throw uh, Steph on there ahead of Booker. But I feel like they had to put somebody from the Suns on there because it's a team in the regular season that was just a buzzsaw. And for Embiid, the only other gripe you would have is if you don't think the position should matter and you just think it should be like the five best players that year which I don't necessarily have a problem with. But if you're going to vote like that, then Embiid should have been first team. Because he was second in MVP, and then you get second team on NBA. <laughs> right. No, I know. It's, it's crazy. That's the big gripe, obviously, is that you're doing it by position. So you have two guards, two forwards, and a center. And in a modern NBA world now where we talk so much about positionless basketball, it's kind of weird that they are still adhering to old rules with the way they do their first, second, and third team. I think you should just take the 15 best players and put them on your first, second, and third team in whatever order you see them is one through 15. If you are putting Embiid on the first team like he deserves to be, are you taking Booker off or are you taking Luka off? Well, I think I would have took Booker off. I think, no, I think I would have took Booker off. Like as much as the team success, I'm sure factored into it. I just think all five individuals who would have been on first team if you replaced Embiid with Booker just had better seasons than Devin Booker did. Okay, and I'm going off a of memory here. Second team was Steph, Durant, DeRozan, Embiid. Who am I missing? Who else was on second team? Uh, Steph. I thought Chris Paul was on second Demar DeRozan, Kevin Durant. Joel Embiid. Who was the other guard along with Steph? Was it Ja? It uh, was Ja, thank you. Yeah, John Morant, second team. Any gripes with the second team? No, now that I'm looking at the third team here as well. No, not really. I think Durant probably would have been first team if he played more games, but he didn't. So that's where you get slotted. And then, again, I probably would have just switched Steph and uh, – Booker, but I think they got the second team for the most part. I think this is probably even all three teams. Honestly, I think they did a pretty good job of voting like a better job than I think giving them credit for before. All right. Who else? Who made the third team? We we know LeBron. Trey Young was third team guard. Yeah. uh, Yeah. LeBron, Trey Young, Chris Paul, 
Carl Anthony Towns and Pascal Siakam. Good for that man making an All NBA team. It's good. That's big. Yeah. No, that's big. Uh, so, if the first team and the second team played a best of three series, who you got? Look, Steph, KD, Joel, Ja, Demar versus <laughs> a pretty formative team. Giannis, Jukic, Luka, Tatum. Ooh, man. Right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's tough. Like, so, I, yeah, I, I kind of lean towards Tatum the and Giannis, <laughs> good defenders. <laughs> right, I think Giannis and Tatum. Durant, Steph, Demar, indeed. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know. There's, I, th- I think the first team, I think the second team, team, there is, and I don't think there's. I think there's a little bit more shooting on the first team, which is why I think I'd give them the edge. And the second team, it's not really impressive at all defensively. <laughs> like, like Steph's no. been pretty good defensively this year. But then you have DeRozan and, De- and Morant, and I know you have Embiid, but Embiid's going to be out on the perimeter trying to guard Jokic, so I don't know how much help he's going to be. He's not going to be down there patrolling the paint. So I think I do give the edge to the first team. I'd like a little bit more shooting on the second team because you have Steph and KD and Embiid can knock it down but not really not Jokic can and uh, I think Damar and, and Ja still have work to do as far as their jump shot goes so I, I'll go with the first team and you got Giannis so I think is just the, I, I, the best player in the NBA mm-hmm. I, I just remember when the second team dropped I was like wow I was like, that's a pretty good team. I want to see. <laughs> I don't know how this would go yeah, against the first team because yeah, the first team definitely has better defense. But the second team, you got outside shooting with Steph. You got outside shooting and inside shooting with Kevin Durant. You've got mid range with Demar Derozan. You've got driving to the paint with Ja all day, and then you got Joel Embiid who can do it from the inside and the outside. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good team. <laughs> I know, but we just saw Tatum give KD the business in that playoff series, especially yes, defensively. Yes, so I don't know that I don't know that KD's getting all of his moves off with Giannis and Tatum uh, up in his grill the whole time. Yeah, no, very true. <laughs> all right, and and our man <laughs> Jalen Rose, in the midst of all these NBA first, second, and third team, finds himself in the scuffle because this man threw a vote out to Kyrie Irving. <laughs> For an all-NBA position. Look, man's a heck of a basketball player. But when you miss over half the year, can you really even be considered for all-NBA? No. (laughs) No, and he missed, like, way more than half the year, too. He played 29 games. (laughs) Is And Jalen apologized for it, although I don't know it's necessarily Mm -hmm. something you need to apologize for. So it's probably better to just say he admitted his mistake on – TV, but still good for Stephen A because Stephen A was incredulous and Jalen tried to skate by it. No, I made a mistake. And Stephen A is like, no, I understand that, but we, we still need to get to the bottom of this, which I appreciate it because voting for Kyrie for an all NBA team is insanity. Again, year, <laughs> he wasn't there. Absolutely. He barely played. So what are you talking about? I think oh, what, like Desmond God. Bain got a vote too. 
which if you're talking about the top 15 players in the NBA, I don't know how you're giving Desmond Bain a vote. Fine season. Great player. But what? So it's there was a lot of uh, voting, I don't know, craziness, if you will. Because I did deep dive into the different ballots just because I wanted to see who got votes. And, yeah, there are guys getting, like, all defensive votes. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Guys getting left off rookie teams, like Herb Jones was on, like, wasn't on a lot of the ballots um, mm-hmm. in favor of guys like Trey Murphy and <laughs> Jose uh, Alvarado, who plays for the same team. I was like, that's just not. That's just not true. So some of the votes were indefensible, but it's always fun to look at because there's so many guys that vote for them. I, th- I think it's 100 votes, at least for the All-NBA, because Giannis got 100 like first-team votes, and his total score was 500 points. So I think that's how that works. Um, yeah, so it's just it's always fun to look at and see who's getting votes for what. Last year, Derrick Rose got an MVP vote. Oh, so it's always fun to do a deep dive. Oh, yep. <laughs> Too funny. All right. Uh, the next time we talk, it will be most likely preparing for the NBA Finals. You and I both think the Golden State Warriors are finishing this thing off in five at Golden State, and we think the Boston Celtics are finishing this thing off in six in Boston. I hope we're wrong. I hope we have a game seven in the East and we have a game six in the West, so we have something more to talk about when we are on here next week. But that's going to do it for today's show. For Ryan Griffin, I'm Matt Basson. We are throwing stones. Thank you for hanging out with us. We'll see you guys again real soon. Yep. Man on a mission, I'm a kid, and you know I be on the way.